Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and others on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Welcome back to More Than Amuse with Stani and Sadie. Yeah, we're excited to be here. It's a beautiful day. How are you, my friend? Is there anything new? Um, I'm doing good. I got tested for COVID yesterday. Oh, I found out that one of my husband's coworkers went to work sick. So oh, we're waiting on results and we'll see what happens. I don't feel like I, I don't know. I feel like I have a cold, mm. but I don't like have a lot of the specific symptoms. So I don't know if I'm just like cruising through it and it's not a problem or if like it's just a cold and would be a very ill-timed cold though (laughs) yeah exactly right (laughs) oh man so yeah I've been fine it hasn't been too bad um the first day I just was drained like really 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 Mm. exhausted and then every day since then it's gone like a little bit better like I'm still super tired I could definitely not like go run a mile or anything right now but I don't even have to be sick to not be able to yeah. run a mile though so that's <laughs> exactly. pretty good <laughs> yeah so just really tired but other than that like I'm I'm fine what? so when we'll are you see. supposed to get your results back they said two to seven days so either like Friday or next week I feel like that's but such a stretch but I know <laughs> but they've been really pushing for the two days I think for everybody mm. just because like yeah that way you can know if you can like continue living your life or if you have Mm -hmm. to be stuck inside yeah so dathan's been home from work because they won't let him go back in yet and oh yeah yeah (laughs) well hey at least it's pretty much like getting a couple days off i know yeah at the very least (laughs) so it hasn't been too bad just hoping that we don't have it and yeah can move on but we'll see well we can get started. I'm excited to hear who we're learning about today. Yeah, me too. So I wanted to find someone new. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of painters, you know a lot of visual artists. I could go on and on about graphic designers. And I really wanted to find one from like a different discipline. Mm-hmm. And so I found a sculptor, Ooh. which I don't know a lot about sculpting. Um, it's even harder to find a female sculptor But on top of that, I really wanted to find a person of color Mm -hmm. who was um, a sculptor. And that was like, ooh, even harder. (laughs) (laughs) So it goes to show like how incredible this woman was in order to like break through all of that. And then I was even able to find her name. Mm -hmm. Um, Her name is Augusta Savage. But a lot of people have called her Augustus too. So I don't know, either Augusta or Augustus, I don't know, but she was born Augusta. So she was a sculptor doing, during the Harlem Renaissance. 
which was a time period that I did not know that much about. And after reading about it, I'm like, wow, why have I never heard of this? But I feel that every time we discuss any one of these people, I'm just like, what the heck? Why wasn't this in history? Mm -hmm. But um, she is noted as like an overlooked artist. And I'll like explain more why. And then also an activist, an educator, and a trailblazer of African-American arts from the Great Depression to the post-war period. Wow. And she lived during one of the most crazy eras I think you could live in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was born in 1892. Oh, wow. In Florida. And to put that in context, like a little state of the arts, slavery ended in 1864, which was only 27 years before she was born. So I couldn't find a lot of records of her parents, but most likely they experienced some form of like the repercussions or like actually enduring slavery of some kind Mm -hmm. on their own, or at least their parents did. So for sure, like it wasn't that far away from her. Yeah. And she was still born into segregation, which is such like a, a strange thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, so she was raised during like that time of just like absolute upheaval that happened after the civil war ended. Um, and a part of a large movement called the great migration, which I don't know, I just didn't pay attention in history, but I did not remember this. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like the large migration of African-Americans out of the rural Southern states to like the urban Northern areas Mm -hmm. after the civil war ended. And like reading about that, I was like, oh my gosh, why did it never cross my mind? How horrible it must have been to be like living down the street from the plantation that you were like forced to work at. And, ah, like, <laughs> like, of course, a lot of people would want to remove themselves of if they had course. that ability. I was like, yeah. of course, I'm going to move to the states that have fought for my freedom instead of staying here mm-hmm. where everyone was trying to like force me into slavery my whole life. Anyway, but, like, it was during, like, the Ku Klux Klan was, like, insane. Lynch mobs were going crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. Most Blacks and African Americans were being forced into unpaid labor still, (laughs) just within jobs instead of, like, on Mm. residences, but they still weren't getting paid. And um, death rates for Black and African American citizens were skyrocketing. They were just, like, beyond anything that they had ever been seen. And so obviously they all tried to get out of there as fast as possible. And most of them migrated to like larger cities because there was Mm -hmm. jobs there. And this um, kind of caused this huge cultural explosion Mm -hmm. in Harlem, New York. And it's considered like an intellectual, social and artistic explosion and movement called the Harlem Renaissance. And it was um, originally called the Knee New Girl Movement, but then um, kind of has been recoined. But it uh, was basically the desire to represent African-American life through fine arts, literature, music, and whatever creative means were available. And it had a global influence and is considered the rebirth of African-American art. Wow. 
And it's such a cool thing. Like reading about it, it's like jazz music kind of came out of this. Fashion was like huge. Uh-huh. So most of the modern fashion we have today was because of those like like those years and those yes and the people in Harlem and like their culture kind of blending with like the new wave of everything and it was just incredible and then also um during this time period the first world war happened and the decline of the great depression so it was just like Mm. a very up up and down (laughs) yeah just like this crazy time in american history um and that's the time period that she was in and like spent the majority of her life in was during all of this stuff and i think even leading up to the second world war so obviously just like whoa (laughs) like you can't even imagine yeah like i know right now we're living in like a historical time period mm-hmm. but like in my lifetime I'm probably not gonna live through two world wars a great depression like desegregation because yeah what happened and like a million other things like it's just that's a lot no I agree I mean obviously this year has been crazy <laughs> but sometimes like I'll hear people be like oh my gosh it's the end of the world and it's like you know like if you think about like the 1900s like I feel like they probably thought they were in the end of the oh, world oh yeah can you and imagine? I feel like they had every right to be like hmm okay can this just like end right now yeah. I don't know gosh I would be like what is happening to our society like there are two world wars pretty <laughs> back to back I don't like Bond this part, a civil war that ended right before anyway just crazy yeah what a 50 years I know <laughs> But um, kind of what the whole movement focused on was reclaiming what it meant to be an African-American. Earlier in history, like during slavery and plantations and everything else, there were these things called minstrel shows, which I've heard Mm. of before. But it was basically a bunch of white people using blackface and pretending to be black people and putting on like little skits. And they would depict the people of color is like dim-witted, lazy, buffoonish, superstitious, and happy-go-lucky. And mm-hmm. so just like idiots. And it was really demeaning and awful. And they said that they were like depicting it accurately and everything and were like really rude about it. But obviously that's not true. And so this like new Negro movement or the Harlem Renaissance was to just like challenge those racial definitions and stereotypes um, challenge gender roles, normalize sexuality and sexism. And it was just like a far ahead of America. They said they embraced feminism sooner and like queer culture sooner than wow. the other. Yeah. So just like a really cool time period. Um, obviously like sexism was still rampant, <laughs> mm-hmm. but even more than that, I think racism was so much more yeah of an issue for her and it's kind of like the intersectionality of it where she was like a female facing sexism but also like a black woman facing racism Mm -hmm. that I thought it was kind of important more in this one to focus on racism that she faced because she actually I would say is a she defeated a lot of sexism and was like one of the only females to do a lot of things but uh, the main barrier in her life was her race which is really terrible and sad so 
But yeah, that's kind of the time period. And then we can go into her life. So like I said, she was born on February 29th, 1892 in Green Cove Springs, Florida. And something that's really cool about her is from a very early age, she was interested in art and she made small animals out of like the natural red clay in her hometown, which I thought was so cool that she's like sculpting from like a really young age. Um, She's quoted saying, from the time I can first recall the rain falling on the red clay in Florida, I wanted to make things. When my brothers and sisters were making mud pies, I would be making ducks and chickens with the mud. Hmm. Um, But like her first barrier that she had was her father was a very poor Methodist minister, and he really strongly opposed her interest in art because he believed that sculpture was like creating graven images, which is against the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Interesting. Yeah, which really caused me to pause for a minute because I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Because I think like sculpture is a part of the idea of graven images, but like Mm -hmm. only if you're worshiping it, right? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that's how I always perceived that. I know. It's not like creating something in and of itself is bad, but like if you worship Worship it or like put it before god i don't know yeah Mm. and i like i think anything can be a graven image not just a sculpture yeah but i guess he just took everything super literally then yeah so um he would beat her um oh yeah because of the art she was making because he saw it as a sin and so she's quoted saying my father licked me four or five times a week which you know licked means beat um, and almost whipped all of the art out of me. Oh. Yeah, so just kind of sad um, yeah. that she had, like, this creative nature in her so young and then, like, mm-hmm. wasn't able to really express it. Yeah, and that not – because, like, obviously there's, like, artists that maybe aren't nurtured at a young age, but so not, but not only was it not nurtured, but it was, like, actually – like it was tried to be just taken out of her kind of a thing. And it was so yes. discouraged. Mm-hmm. Very, very discouraged. And I thought it was an interesting context, like contrast to the other two stories that we've covered where their fathers yeah. were like nurturing. And maybe um, like the reason why they pursued it so much mm-hmm. and had those doors open. And instead, like her father was an obstacle that she had to overcome in order yeah. to like, just really interesting. And Luckily, like, she persevered, and when her family moved, they moved um, to West Palm Beach in Florida, Hmm. and the principal there in her high school encouraged her talent and even had her teach, like, a modeling class for, um, like, for other students. That's cool. Which is um, really amazing, and it inspired, like, the artist within her, and then later she actually went on to teach, and a lot of people think that that is what helped inspire her to teach later as well. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. So she got married. She had a daughter who was her only child. Her husband died shortly after, which is super sad. And then, um, like, 15 years later, about, she got married again. Mm. And that husband... Um, they were divorced in the 1920s, but she kept his last name. So that was James Savage. So, um, that's where her last name comes from now. And then, um, she would go on, I think, to get married one more time. Hmm. That I'll talk about a little bit later, but 
that's kind of her personal life. And then her career as an artist kind of began in 1919 when she, um, she actually went to a county fair. Oh. And she had a booth at the county fair. And she won a prize of $25, which I was like, oh, that's not a lot. But then I was like, wait, back then that was quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is 1990. Yeah. <laughs> and a ribbon for the most original exhibit. That's cool. Really amazing. And this led her to kind of like, I think it helped her gain her confidence in her art. And she started exploring yeah. commission work and then eventually um, traveled to New York City to further explore art. And uh, the county fair official actually gave her a letter of recommendation and wow. sent her to like one of his well-known sculptor friends. Um, was this in Florida or was it in New York? It was in Florida. Okay. So at the county fair, the official there in Florida was like, hey, you should go to New York. Here's my friend. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, and his name was Solon Borglum. But he found out that she couldn't afford tuition at the School of American Sculpture. And so he was like, oh, you should go to Cooper Union because they're scholarship-based and you can get in and they'll like pay for it for you. And she was like, awesome. So she applied, was admitted, and was actually selected before 142 other men on the waiting list, which is such a cool thing that like she was that good. Yeah, well, it's cool that she obviously had so much natural ability because Mm – you know, like I talked, we talked about, it's not like that talent was really nurtured as a child and it was, you know, just something she did in high school and it sounds like it was more of just like a hobby. So yes, exactly. That's cool. And they said that her talent and ability was so impressive that they actually awarded her additional funds and they paid for her room and board. So they were like, please come here. Yes. Because she had to, she lost her job when she started school. Um, cause it's really hard to do both. And, um, so they were able to help her pay for all of it so that she could actually attend, which wow. is really great. And, um, she studied there under a man named George Brewster, who's a pretty famous American sculptor. I'm not super familiar with sculpting mm-hmm. names, so I might leave some of them out, but if you want to look them up, you can. And, uh, she completed the four-year degree in three years. Wow. Which, crazy. <laughs> And I then, know. Yeah. It took me five years to complete my four-year degree, so. I know. And I don't even know what goes into a sculpting degree, but from the few classes I've taken, I can imagine it would be very intense. So oh, that's yeah. really impressive. <laughs> and then this is kind of one of the saddest moments. In 1923, she applied for a summer's arts program in France. Ooh. And everyone was like, oh, she's more than qualified. Like, she's a shoe-in. And uh-huh. a typewritten letter from the admissions committee read, it would not be wise to have a colored student as complications would arise and the student would suffer most from these complications. Oh. So they rejected her because she was black. And, and it was like masked as like, oh, well, it's actually for the benefit of the student. Yeah. Like, oh, it would be too hard for you. Like, um, okay. So she was really mad and she questioned the committee And it actually resulted in, like, a public fight, which was Mm -hmm. written about in, like, multiple newspapers and, like, made global news, which was really interesting. Wow. Um, She published a searing open letter to the New York world. And this is what she's quoted saying. 
I hear so many complaints to the effect that Negroes do not take advantage of the educational opportunities offered them. While one of the reasons why more of my race do not go in for higher education is that as soon as one of us gets his head above the crowd, there are millions of feet ready to crush it back again to that dead level of commonplace, thus creating a racial, a racial decline or deadline, racial deadline of culture in our republic. For how am I to compete with other American artists if I'm not to be given the same opportunity? Wow. Just completely calling them out and being like, mm-hmm. you get so mad at me for not being as good as them, but then you don't let me do the same thing. You don't even give me the chance. Yeah. And it showed like that she was like strong, formidable, eloquent, and to like stand up to anyone at that time when you were a woman of color, like first off a woman, then second off like a woman of color. Yeah. <laughs> and then to speak up and get mad at like this all white, all male admissions board was like revolutionary. Just no one would have ever done this. Yeah. And it helped well, her. Well, it's, I think it's cool too, because it's like, she knew what she was worth as an artist and she was just like, no, like yeah. I'm not putting up with this. I know I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. So answer this question. Exactly. And like everyone was pissed. <laughs> like there was appeals made to the government. People wrote letters. People got wow. mad. Like um, in France and America, like she deserved this so much. Um, they wouldn't budge. And so she wasn't able to do it, which wow. is really, really sad. But a committee member from the organization his name was Herman Atkins McNeil, and he actually shared a studio with Henry Asawa Tanner, who was one of the first African-American painters to um, gain international acclaim. Oh, cool. So he had shared a studio with this guy, and so he invited her to study with him. And so it's kind of believed that because he had shared a studio with an African-American man, he was like, oh, cool. Like, they're no different. Like, come on. so that was kind of cool that he was able to help her out and she later cited him as one of her like main teachers that's cool really like trusted his mentorship and advice after graduation she actually had to go get a regular job for a while which Mm. kind of broke my heart because I was like can you imagine having a degree and then she ended up working in steam laundries in Manhattan Mm. And it's like, oh man, that must have sucked. Like sitting there yeah. being like, oh, I'm so skilled and talented and I'm folding laundry. Like, like I have a degree from this. Yeah. Just awful. But she did it because her family, like, ah, her father got paralyzed from a stroke and her family's home was destroyed from a hurricane. All within a, like a short amount of time. And so her entire family moved from Florida to her small apartment in New York City and were living with her, which oh, <laughs> just crazy. So she, that's why she got the job was to support her entire family, which makes so much sense. But like, yeah, is even sadder in a lot of ways. She didn't really have that luxury of just being able to like, you know, maybe like wait to find the good job or like mm-hmm. be the artist for a while. Like it was like no choice. She had to support Yeah, and it's kind of sad because, like, poverty is, like, a very big thing throughout her her story, her whole story Mm -hmm. as well, that, like, she really had to fight against. Um, Like, money was such a barrier for her. Yeah. It was just interesting. Like, she had so many barriers. Like, not only is she a female in the 1900s, she's black 
in the 1900s. And then on top of that, she's poor. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just, anyway, just really, really sad. But um, she was able to actually get some commissions. And they were for a lot of prominent African-American people in culture. Um, she did uh, the bust of W.E.B. Du Bois for the Harlem Library. Mm-hmm. And then later ended up doing Marcus Garvey and William Pickens Sr., which you'll have to Google all these people, but they're important <laughs> activists and like members of the African American community. And um, she earned a ton of praise for depicting African Americans in a more humane, neutral way, as opposed to all those stereotypes at the time. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was kind of cool that she was able to be the voice of like the African-American community and like make sure that they were being depicted appropriately. Yeah. Cause like I said, it it was hard to find a female sculptor, but then let alone like a person of color. And Mm -hmm. so I can't imagine that there was that many like black sculptors running around in the 1900s. So for her to be able to be the one that made those busts and like make sure that they were like appropriate and yeah, helped represent the people in a dignified way. It was good. And um, one of the students of Marcus Garvey, she ended up marrying him in 1923. Mm-hmm. And he was a newspaper editor and journalist and like a major activist for racial equality. And they got married. And from what I can tell, I think they remained married until, I don't know, they died. So, so that was kind of the rest of her life, but he seems like a really cool guy as well. Yeah. Later on, she won an award to go to the Academy of Fine Arts in Rome, but the scholarship only covered tuition, so she wasn't able to go. Oh, because she couldn't afford it. Yeah. She couldn't raise enough money for travel and living expenses, and she tried. It didn't work, and so she ended up staying um, during this time period, I also <laughs> found this little like footnote that she had like pretty much a stalker, but I like couldn't find that much information on him. Oh. He was this writer and eccentric named Joe Gold, and he became infatuated with her and like wrote her a ton of letters, like called her all the time, said he wanted to marry her, and it turned into harassment. But that's all I could find. So <laughs> I was like, whoa, interesting. But like, I couldn't find anything else about it. So that was kind of weird, but. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And then later on, she went on to win the Otto Kahn Prize in 1928 at an exhibition at the Harmon Foundation. And um, this was kind of an interesting thing too. So she submitted a, a bust called Head of a Negro. And yet, um, after she won, she publicly criticized the director of the foundation, whose name was Mary Beattie Brady, and mm-hmm. told her that she had low standards for black art and lack of understanding in the area of visual arts in general because of the fetish, fetishization. Yes, that word, fetishization of the Negro primitive aesthetic favored by white, white patrons at the time. So, kind of like, I, I'm kind of guessing that people were like, oh, it's so exotic and blah, 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 and like yeah. a primitive Negro. And then she was kind of like, you're lame and you have low standards for black art and art in general and you suck. But yeah. she won an award. 
So that's cool. <laughs> that's good. But it goes to show like how much she was willing to like speak up and kind of call out people for their racism, especially mm-hmm. within the arts. And then kind of a nice thing. Um, in 1929, a bunch of people heard about her struggles and they were like, we're going to help you. So multiple organizations, grants, donations from friends and teachers. They said women's groups of the African-American community got together and they raised money so that she could go finally to Europe to study. And um, so she was able to go to France at the age of 37. Wow. And she worked there in the studio of some masters for a while but then later was quoted saying that they're not in sympathy as they all have their own definite ideas and usually wish their pupils to follow their particular method. So she worked in her own studio in that area, which kind of makes sense. She's like, the teachers only want me to do it their way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I feel like, especially like being a 37 year old woman, you know, like obviously I think when you're in your early twenties and like in that student mindset, it's Mm -hmm. like one thing to like, you know, do what someone tells you. But I feel like at that point, she's like, I've lived my life, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously 37 (laughs) isn't old, but it's like, Mm you're you're into your life a little bit yes and like she was pretty well established as a exactly so she's kind of like well no like i I have my degree in this i've been i have my commissions i've won Mm -hmm. my awards like no i'm just gonna do it the way that i know i want to exactly so um she continued to get help more people would send her money to fund her things abroad which was amazing it helped her enroll in a leading paris art school and she cool. studied with some famous sculptors there and won awards and had expositions. She, like, toured France, Belgium, and Germany. She researched sculpture in ca- cathedrals and museums and just, like, you know, I can imagine. Studying art in Europe would just be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So then she returned to the United States in 1931. And this was kind of during the Great Depression. So it had almost completely stopped art sales. Like, no one was buying art during that time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But she, like, really pushed on and in 1934 became the first African-American artist to be elected to the National Association of Women Painters and Sculptors. That's cool. Yeah. So that was kind of cool that that was able to happen. And during this time is actually when she started, like, teaching. And this is kind of what she... Um, kind of saw as like her life contribution, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, she launched the Savage Studio of Arts and Crafts, and it was in a basement in Harlem. And she opened the studio to anyone who wanted to come paint, draw, and sculpt. And a lot of her students went on to become like nationally known artists. That's so like cool. Jacob Lawrence, Norman Lewis, and Gwendolyn Knight. Um, one of them, I. Th- I don't want to say because I'm probably wrong, but one of them actually went on to create the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. and was like very well known for that. And and they are one of the people or whatever is quoted saying like, even when she didn't have money to buy her own art supplies, she let them use hers. Oh, okay. Because nice. she said like, I know how much I was put down and denied. So if I can teach these kids anything, I'm going to teach it to them. Which yeah. just shows like how much she really wanted to help these kids like nurture you know, creative talents yeah. and abilities because she wasn't able to. 
We're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So for today's spotlight, I just wanted to shout out this Instagram account that I've been following for a while. The at is Amplify Her Voice, um, and essentially the purpose of it, their bio here, it says promoting gender equality in the music industry through awareness, education, and empowerment. So yeah, I really like following them. Um, for one thing, it's just a very em- empowering you know, thing to follow, and I like it when their posts pop up on my feed, but it pretty much just talks about... Um, you know, what it's like to be a woman in the music industry. It celebrates the success of women, but also, you know, pointing out the discrepancies as far as like how many women are in the, you know, popular world of music. Um, So I think it's a really cool account. Would encourage you to check them out, especially if, you know, you are a woman in the arts or women in music, especially because that's who it's aimed towards. That's awesome. How cool. I know. I like them. I've been following them for a long time, especially like a couple years ago, like this article came out about just how few like women songwriters there were and women producers and everything. And I I think it kind of came out as a response to that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I want to do like a, we need to do like a whole episode on like the statistics. Yes, exactly. It is sad. (laughs) No, that's amazing. Yeah, just a cool page. Like, it's not necessarily an artist, but I mean, it's promoting female it's artists. It's promoting women in the arts, which yeah. I am all about. <laughs> we are obviously all about that. Obviously. <laughs> cool. I'm going to highlight a painter. Her name is Miriam Tribe, and she's actually local. Um, she's mm. a Utah artist. So it's spelt M I R. I A M Miriam tribe. Oh yeah. She does abstract art and it's really cool. <laughs> this is cool. I'm looking at it right now. Yes. It's abstract. Like people, if that makes sense. I feel like when I say abstract art, people probably think like Jackson Pollock of like splatters and stuff. No, it's people. Mm-hmm. They're just abstracted, <laughs> but like lots of bright colors, a lot of like those line art faces that are like, really popular I feel like right now I love her stuff it's just fun to see all of her things she actually did like a tiny art show with the little the tiny oh art yeah show. um yeah that nonprofit that I shouted out a uh-huh. while ago so that's how I found her but her stuff is just beautiful like really stunning I would love to be able to own a lot of these art <laughs> works yeah. by people that I know one day but I'm not rich, so I can just enjoy it on Instagram. <laughs> and show you, but hey, we could show your su- our support by shouting mm-hmm. them out, and then yeah, definitely. Hopefully. If you can afford one, go get one. For sure. Yeah, this is amazing. Well, I love these shoutouts too because I'm following more artists, and so then when I scroll through Instagram, it's just more artwork, and I love it. It's like creating this like inspiring feed for myself. Isn't it nice? Yeah. Like, I love it when Instagram becomes, like, uplifting and, like, inspiring instead of, like, competitive and comparative. Yeah. <laughs> like, I definitely follow my fair share of influencers. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice to, like, have that offset by just, like, following just artists and people just trying to promote their work. I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay, this makes me feel 
happy. Nothing against influencers, but yeah, exactly. (laughs) I would love to be an influencer and like get stuff. So I'm jealous. Anyone out there that wants to have us promote them. (laughs) Yeah. If you just like want me to send me like a box of makeup, like I wouldn't be mad. That seems really awesome. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know, but it's nice to realize that like Instagram can be used for so many different things. And one of my favorite things it's used for is like helping showcase people's talents. I think that's just a really incredible thing. So yeah. Um, Just a reminder, we have like all of our spotlights. We'll have them in our, uh, a little highlight on our stories and Mm -hmm. we'll tag all the people. And then also the more than amused.podcast account on Instagram is following all the people that we spotlight. So if you need to find one, you can go look there. (laughs) All right. Now back to the show. sounds like obviously she's like i know what it's like to be like actively stopped from doing Mm -hmm. these things or have outside life things that make it impossible so she's like i'm gonna help make this happen for you yeah and she did and another student actually went on to contribute to the supreme court decision in brown versus board of education which helped desegregate schools so um she like nurtured a lot of people within that school like not even just artists but like yeah important people that really helped change racism in america mm-hmm. and um it evolved into a harlem art community center where anyone of any age and ability could come and learn from her and her staff and like show their work around new york city and it was just like a wonderful thing she actually opened like two art galleries as well Mm. um and was the first african-american woman to open her own art gallery in america wow and she announced at the opening and said we do not ask any special favors as artists because because of our race we only want to present to you our works and ask you to judge them on their merits which i thought Mm. was a very beautiful statement um the shows are well attended well reviewed but sales um few sales resulted and both of the galleries ended up closing. Um, just, it was the time period and uh, yeah, everything else. But something cool that happened and probably her most well-known work of art is she was one of four women and only two African-Americans to receive a professional commission from the Board of Design for the New York World Fair in 1939. Mm-hmm. And she created this piece called Lift Every Voice and Sing. It's also known as the harp. It's inspired by this song, and it was 16 feet tall. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was the most popular and most photographed work at the art. Um, Several metal, like, souvenir copies of it were sold, and postcards of the piece were purchased. And it basically was, like, it was a harp, but then it was, like, reinterpreted and it had like 12 singing african-american youth in like different heights like leading up oh. to the harp. i'll post on instagram for everyone listening. and then the harp sounding board was like an arm and a hand and then a young man in the front was kneeling and like offering music in his hands just like a yeah. beautiful sculpture representing like african-american culture and just like music and everything sadly like she didn't have enough funds to cast it in bronze, which made it more permanent. It was only made out of plaster. 
And mm. that's kind of one of the struggles, I think, of sculpture that a lot of people don't realize is that, like, in order for it to last, most of the time, it has to be cast in bronze. Okay. Like, but, does it just, like, start, like, decaying or breaking? Yeah, like, or? plaster falls apart. Plaster is really, really um, wimpy. <laughs> Got it. I'm trying to remember. Did you ever play with, like, the plaster of Paris in elementary school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what plaster is, essentially. Like, it's a little bit nicer than that, but, like, it's not... But essentially, it just breaks apart. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't last very long. And so in order to, like, make sculpture last, you have to cast it in bronze, too. So you, like, use the plaster as a mold and then make it in bronze instead. But bronze is really expensive. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, commissions a lot of the time, they don't really pay for materials. Yeah. Part of me, though, thinks that it's, like, I feel like you would think that if, the sculpture was at this event and it was so well received they would like try and you know you'd hope you'd hope and you'd think but i guess but they I, didn't yeah i mean also yeah. i just don't know a thing about the sculpture or the art <laughs> world okay. really in that sense in general <laughs> so i don't good. know if that's actually normal but i don't know it makes me sad because like she wasn't able to cast it in bronze so it was made out of plaster and also it was 16 feet tall so she didn't have anywhere to store it. and she Yeah, I guess like, where do you put that? Yeah, and she didn't have any way to, like, make it last long enough. And so mm. she had to destroy it herself when the fair ended. Oh. Which, it's, like, her most well-known artwork. And, and then, it wasn't able to, like, live on. Yeah, like, we don't have it. And that's kind of the issue with a lot of her art. Um, we don't have most of it, if any of it. Um, because... She couldn't afford the bronze to cast it in, couldn't afford storage for a lot of it. Um, obviously, like, sculptures aren't the easiest thing in the world to store when you live yeah. in an apartment in New York City. Like, where do you put it? Um, so, like, a lot of her art, sadly, like, was probably destroyed by her. Because, and, yeah, where where would she put it? Yeah, like, she just didn't have the money to keep it anywhere and, like, uphold it and like make sure it would stay Mm -hmm. so obviously like it just caused a lot of like financial struggles um and she ended up moving to like a little farmhouse outside of the city and there she had like a garden and pigeons and chickens and eggs so like very cute it sounds nice but yeah um she actually ended up being a laboratory assistant to a company's cancer research facility. Oh. Uh, Yeah, which is, like, very different. And then um, ended up learning to drive around this time period so that she could make it to her job. But the director of the laboratory was actually really nice, and he wanted her to pursue her artistic career still. And so he gave her some art supplies, and um, she continued teaching. So she taught sculpting and art to her friends and neighbors and she actually like sculpted them and then her last commissioned work was for that director of the lab that she worked at um oh, that's cool. and it was of the author Pulteney Bigelow and he was like a a man a minister <laughs> during the civil war mm-hmm. and her neighbors always said that she continued to always be making something with her hands just like her whole life So one of her most famous busts is on permanent display at the Smithsonian. Oh, cool. Which is awesome. Um, A life-sized version. 
something else is in the Cleveland Museum of Art. And then um, she has like a couple of other things. I think mainly those commissions are still there. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Um, but her style has always been descriptive as realistic, expressive, and sensitive. And um, even though we don't have a lot of like her work left, people have always said that like her influence within the art community, especially the African art community, are just completely monumental. Wow. Yeah. So she um, continued to teach art to kids, actually wrote some children's stories, and ended up dying of cancer in 1962. And they said that she was all but forgotten at the time of her death. Like hardly anyone remembered her. But her students are kind of what reawakened the stories of her. And today she's able to be remembered as a great artist, activist, and arts educator mm-hmm. that helped so many people. Wow. <laughs> so a lot of things are now named in her honor, which is good. There's a quote about her that says, she was keen on creating an infrastructure for Black artists, the need for a network for African-American artists to succeed. Savage once said in all of the American homes she visited, only two had artworks by African-American artists. And she asks, how does African-American art survive? Yeah. I think that kind of shows like how important it was to her to like make sure that her culture and like everything were upheld and continued. Yeah. And just really cool. So her little farmhouse is now like a little museum in Mm -hmm. honor of her. Um, There's a couple of community art centers named after her in her hometown. A public school in Maryland is named after her. And uh, yeah, just a bunch of other things now named after her, which is good. So even though she was almost completely forgotten at one point, she's now like pretty well remembered and renowned at least for like the work she did for her students Mm -hmm. and like the few works that were able to survive which is amazing. Yeah. I think there's one more quote I wanted to share. She said, I have created nothing really beautiful, really lasting, but if I can inspire one of these youngsters to develop the talent I know they possess, then my monument will be in their work. Oh. Yeah. And it's like, no, you did create like beautiful things, but yeah. But yeah, like she really considered her greatest achievement is like helping those young students learn dang yeah just like an incredible person and I don't know it was kind of sad because like reading it just multiple times I was like oh my gosh like the barrier of like sexism then I was like oh my heck like the barrier of racism and then I was Mm -hmm. like oh my gosh the barrier of poverty like so much well I feel like that's I mean obviously I don't know much about sculpture or sculpting Mm -hmm. but it's so interesting to learn that like part of the reason why her works weren't able to live on as much like even her most like prized work or you know her biggest accomplishment like because she wasn't able to afford a certain material she had to destroy it herself yeah when like someone who has more money that probably wouldn't be even a second thought where it's like oh I can afford to store this somewhere or I have Mm -hmm. I can just you know use bronze on this to make it last longer like make it last that's crazy. And I can't even imagine like the mental 
like that would suck so bad to build this beautiful 16 foot sculpture and then have to destroy it like and have to destroy it yeah like you created it and you have to turn around and destroy it with your own hands yeah that is very sad suck so bad so yeah that's augusta savage she's an incredible person um it said that like she did a lot of more activism too. I don't, I couldn't find a lot of that. I'm assuming mm-hmm. it was just in a lot of the ways that she represented art at the time period. But yeah. Well, and I think it's so cool too because like, like I said, like she knew what her worth was as an artist, you know, and mm-hmm. so she knew that like, like with with the whole thing that happened with France, you know, like the letter that she wrote publicly, like I feel like that's so awesome that she was like, this is unjust, this is not right. And that other people too were on her team and were like, yeah, this is not right. But it's still sad that even after like having that voice of other people as well, that people were still rooted in their ways. It was kind of crazy to me because I thought that like, I don't know. I remember always hearing that, like, America was behind in racism. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, like, France was kind of just as bad at that time, at least in yeah. the art world. But I think that was just, like, a really, a really crazy time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I can't even imagine, like, fighting against that much. Like, yeah, her story is definitely one of just – overcoming barriers like Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again that like most people don't have to try and overcome yeah well I think it's I think and I think it's cool too though because it was so just motivated by the fact that she loved it and and I Mm -hmm. think it was that she was going to do it anyways yes you know like she was gonna find a way to do it even just from like as a young child Mm -hmm. you know of making stuff with the clay around her home that like she did it then and it sounds like later in her life like even with her neighbors being like oh yeah she was always making something with her hand hands like she was a natural artist and so yes even if there were barriers that maybe stopped her from like having more success at it that she was still always that artist Mm -hmm. and she like remained true to it her whole life too like it was always no matter what like other odd jobs she had to do on the side in order to survive like art was always like her main thing and like what she was known for and I think anyone who like knew her personally never would have considered her anything except for like an artist an artist well and I think that's kind of a cool thing just separate from her life of like because I know like I recently graduated from school but I'm still working at a call center you know Mm -hmm. but but I have to do that just because you know I'm saving up money. I have to have enough to live off of right now. Yeah. My husband's going to grad school. We got to pay for that. <laughs> but like that also doesn't make me not an artist. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes it'll be like, like, oh my gosh. Because like, obviously we, we have to support ourselves. Like that's a very important thing. And yes. sometimes art is not the most lucrative way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Not to compare my own situation to hers because, <laughs> you know, obviously she's... <laughs> She had a lot more to deal with than I do. But I think it's just like a cool lesson that like, even if we have to take a step back from our art sometimes, at the end of the day, we're always artists and that can still be the core part of our identity. And it doesn't take away from that artist Mm -hmm. if we have to sometimes, okay, you know, like she had to support her family. So she had to go get a job right after college or, you know what I mean? Like there's still, 
No, exactly. We're all still artists. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really important. So, like, no matter, like, if she can make it through her dad literally beating her for creating little animals out of clay, like, being denied over and over and over again Mm -hmm. to go to things because of her race, like, constantly fighting against, like, poverty of materials and everything else and still create art her entire life. Like, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> like yeah. anyone out there can do it. Like you've, yeah. I just think at a certain point you've got to realize if it's what you really want and it's what you really believe that you are, then mm-hmm. you will do anything possible to make it work. Yeah, and even if it's like not making it in the way that you thought, because I think mm-hmm. it's cool that you know at the end of her life she's like, you know what? If I can make my mark by helping these students, then Mm -hmm. that is a way that like I can be happy, you know, with Uh my legacy living on. And I think it's really beautiful that she said that and was like, oh, like if I can just help one of these youngsters like develop their talent, then like my life's mission is completed. And then they were the ones who were able to go on and be like my teacher, Augusta Savage, and like bring up her name so many times that finally they were like, oh yeah, like there was a sculptor that was really popular around that time period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and be like, oh yeah, like, why did we forget about her? And now she's like pretty well known. Well enough yeah. known that like I was able to find her. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's cool too yeah. that there's like, you know, did you say there's an elementary school named after her? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, and like some community art centers, which I think is really important. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, like she just, she loved like developing talents and like continuing her own and just like what an incredible woman to like mm-hmm. fight that hard to just make the world a little bit more beautiful. Yeah. You want it's like it's so hard though because you wonder like oh if she would have gotten accepted that thing in France. <laughs> if she would have had enough money that first time to go to Rome. If she would have had more money to even, you know, have the materials to make her sculptures last. Like you wonder if things would be different and it's sad but at the same time you know seems like she was able to live such a great life and like leave a legacy with what she was able to do and I think that's amazing I think so too I think she's a great example to everyone of just like the barriers you can overcome and like Mm -hmm. what you can truly do with your life even with when you die you feel like you haven't done anything yeah exactly Really incredible person. I'm wow. glad I learned about her. Me too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed learning about our new sculptor, Augusta Savage. I know I definitely learned a lot. She's a very cool, inspiring person. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I think she's a great example to all of us. And um, definitely like look up more stuff about her, look at pictures of her work, check her out, Mm. like check out her students. There's so much more to learn and we can only cover so much. (laughs) So definitely go check out more and be sure to tune in again. Um, We are doing more people, more interviews, more topics about being a female artist and being a woman in the arts and all of that. And we're excited for the episodes we have coming. Mm -hmm. So Follow us on morethanmuse.podcast on Instagram to stay updated with when we release new episodes and what they're about. And we will see you next time. (laughs) 